You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your rangefinder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Iowa Sportsman. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be talking with Dan Henderson. Dan is a conservation officer down in southern Iowa, and this episode is one of those episodes where I think all of us kind of need a reminder. We all get fired up for hunting, right? But sometimes there's some simple things that we may forget. Like one example is a habitat stamp that is necessary when you hunt in Iowa or a fur bearer license if you want to shoot a bobcat or something along those lines, right? So Dan kind of talks with us about a friendly reminder episode so to speak we talk about tags license rule change um you know how far away to hunt from a ditch how far away to hunt from a a a building or a residence just a friendly reminder episode that i think all sportsmen need to hear before we really start grinding into the hunting season this covers deer hunting this covers waterfowl hunting trapping uh fur bearing uh type hunting coyotes and, and bobcats and whatnot so I always want to do at least one of these a year to get it in our head to to actually start thinking about all the proper license tags, registrations that we need to hunt or trap or fish here in Iowa. So uh, Dan is a really good guest. He covers a lot of different things and uh, I enjoy having him on. Now, before we get into the episode, we got to do a real quick commercial. If you guys haven't had the ability to check out the quiet cat website i strongly suggest you do that then go there find a dealer that is close to you if you have some spare time go take a test ride on one of these electric bikes they are number one they're fun they're absolutely fun to ride but they have some really good functionality too especially if uh, you're like me and you have really bad knees or you're a Uh, a real mobile hunter and you don't like driving a vehicle all the way back into your property because it may spook the deer this electric bike is very quiet it can get you where you need to go in wet or dry conditions and they don't they don't call it quiet cat uh for you know 
just for fun, it's actually really quiet. It makes hardly any noise at all other than the tires on the ground, right? So it has really good torque on it, right? It has pedal assist, so you can pedal and it uh, and it will move for you, or it actually has a throttle that will go, uh, that will make the bike go as well. And uh, it's just a really fun way to get outside uh, mountain bike trails or just taking it for a trip on gravel roads or using it to hunt. So if you want to find out more information about Quiet Cat, visit their website, site, quietcat.com. And I strongly suggest finding a dealer and going and testing one out. All right. So we've done the commercial. Let's get into today's Outdoor Reminders podcast with Dan Henderson. All right, on the phone with me now, my local DNR uh, officer, Mr. Dan Henderson. Dan, how you doing? Hey, good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. Now, that is your correct title, right? What's your conservation officer? Yes, yeah. Yep. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. So, um, I know we did a an episode, I think about this time last year, where we touched base on some of the, uh, you know, touch base on some rules, touch base on a couple different scenarios, not just for deer hunting, but all hunting throughout the fall. The fall is a really busy time for outdoorsmen. And uh, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same level. So nobody gets surprised. And I think this is actually a really good refresher for, uh, sportsmen or outdoorsmen um that are out in the field that you know sometimes we get carried away and we're not thinking and maybe we do something that uh, is merely an accident and then there's some of us who may may do stuff that uh, we probably shouldn't do and um i think it's uh this is a great refresher and, and a great um uh i don't know uh, just, just a great conversation for this time of year because, uh, you know, deer opener is, uh, October 1st. Now the first, the first question that I, I want to ask you is what are some of the most common mistakes that slip people's mind throughout the hunting season, whether it's for deer hunting, pheasant hunting, trapping that, uh, are, are things that you deal with on a regular basis that may slip a sportsman's mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, starting off, you know, one of the biggest things to do, and it typically they they get published out or they get sent out to all of the licensing selling agents, Walmart, any outdoor sports uh, place, Shields, any, any place that's going to sell a hunting or fishing license, they're going to have our hunting, trapping, and migratory game bird regulations. We put them all, we used to have a book for each type of hunting or trapping or whatever. Um, we, we actually all have them all in the same book now, and they're free. They don't cost anything. They're just the Iowa regu- regulations that a person can pick those up. And you can sum through those, and it's generally going to have a lot of the uh, regulations and rules that a hunter or a trapper or a waterfowl hunter experiences their time out in, in the field. And so by picking those up, you know, thumbing through those every year, one of the first biggest things is when you flip to, uh, it's usually the first couple of pages, there's highlights and changes in there. So any rules, any laws that had, has gotten introduced or anything, any deer quotas that got, have gotten changed, any migratory bird bag limits that's gotten changed, everything is in there. Gotcha. And so that's just kind of a, you know, that's just kind of, oh, you know, we're, we're at uh, 
uh, one canvas back instead of two or vice versa, you know, or, or whatnot. So that yeah. uh, really, really kind of helps out the hunter or whatnot. Um, so that highlights what, all of the rule changes so you don't have to go digging through them. Correct. Okay. Correct. Making yep. it easy. At least, at least the big, you know, the, the big ones that the, that the general public are interested in finding out about. Okay. All right. You know, so that's a, a good place to, uh, you know, to, to find them. Now, as you know, through your several years of experience, that's not always the case, right? People aren't reading that or they may not read that uh, and they, they go out and they start to make these, these mistakes. Um, right. As what are, what are some of the common mistakes, whether let's say it's tags or licensing or maybe a specific uh, animal that gets the, the most, uh, I guess where sportsmen run into the most difficulty with. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest things, and actually the thing that I've been experiencing and noticed in the last couple of years, just because we have had, or because we, we offer the three year hunting license now, um, license, like just simple general license oops is really big. First off, like when you buy that three year license, you know, you don't get it. You don't get a reminder at that third year that says, Hey, it's time to get your license again. So a lot of times we'll check people out in the field and they'll give us that card. And it's like, Hey, this, you know, this is expired last year, you know? Oh no. You know, uh, also the habitat fee, the habitat fee is huge. Um, a lot of people will go up, uh, usually the night before deer season at Walmart or a sports place and say, I need, I need my tags to hunt deer. And that's just exactly what they give them. They give them a deer tag. So then when they sign off on that license, they don't look to see that, you know, maybe they gave them a hunting license, but they forgot that habitat fee. Yeah. And so that's just a general, just make for sure, you know, here in Iowa, you got to have three things to hunt deer or turkey, you know, it's not on your own ground. It's a deer turkey tag, hunting license, and a habitat fee. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, so just as a, a, a simple license thing, uh, one of the other biggest things, a lot of things that I've run into, um, simple salt licks. And that's something I was going to kind of touch, but that's, that, that's generally one of the real big things that I come across is, is a lot of people like throughout the summer, uh, they like providing those bucks the minerals that they need for the racks and um, where that is not illegal, it's the hunting over the presence of salt bait mineral, you know, that is. And so one of the biggest things that people don't realize is just because you remove that salt block does not mean that that area is not contaminated with mineral because it is. What happens is, is that mineral leaches into the ground and then that's when you start getting those waller holes and, you know, um, and so the the biggest thing there is just because the presence of the block is gone, you jump up on that stand, conservation officer happens to walk by, check your license, and then, hey, what's this hole here? You know, a lot of the mineral, well, that's still a baited area. So we, we tell people, make for sure that you dig that out and then actually, you know, don't, don't cover it up or nothing like that. Actually dig it out and put fresh rock mineral and all that. One of the biggest things that I tell people is if you're going to have a mineral site on your property, have it at the complete opposite end yes. of where hunting activity is even going on. You know, so if you pull into your property 
and everything is at the back of your property, your mineral site needs to be basically right where you park your car. Or, you know, if you're hunting a chunk of ground that really doesn't have trees and the whole thing is entirely flat, I probably would not have a mineral site out there. Okay. You know, um, you know a lot of times it it's going to, uh, one, it's officer's discretion. Two, it's going to be the depend on what type of a, of a method of take you have, bow, firearm, muzzleloader, you know, and just how far are you from that area. Okay. So is there a time frame that you guys have with, uh, with that? I, I know that just because you remove the salt block or the, you know, the trophy rock or whatever it is you're using doesn't mean that it's, it's not a mineral site anymore. Do you guys, similar to baiting, is it a 30 day window? Is it a 40 day window? Is it a year? How's that work? There's no wind. There's no days. Uh, what I've always told people, you know, if they put that turn, that turnstile bait, uh, bait bucket out there that sits there and spins the curl and, um, around to feed deer, um, if they want to pull that, uh, the night before the first and pick up that, make sure every single kernel of corn is picked up and there's not a grain of corn on the ground, they can hunt that spot the, the next day. Gotcha. Just the presence of corn or bait cannot be there. Okay. Right. So in, um, the, I know we talked about this last time, but in, in Nebraska, there is a rule that says, I, I believe it's uh, still a rule, 200 yards. You can have bait or mineral station, but the hunter cannot hunt within 200 yards of that, that bait or mineral station. Is, right. is there a set defined um, yardage or distance from a... I would not have a zone of any Okay, no. okay. No. So this, then at this point, it becomes the, the officer's discretion on whether or not the hunter is using that mineral or that bait pile to their advantage. You are. Yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. All right, cool. Um, yeah. Yep. So, you know, sometimes people, and this is, this is one of those questions that sometimes people get really pissed off when a conservation officer comes up to them and says, well, you don't have this, you don't have this, I'm going to have to write you a ticket or a fine, or I'm going to warn you or whatever. On a scenario like that, how, how does that work? I mean, do you guys just say, okay, the law has been broken here. We're going to write you a ticket. Or do you guys give warnings or is it, is it all officer discretion or how's, how's that work? Yeah, absolutely. One of the, uh, you know, and again, speaking for myself, because again, officer discretion is a big, um, um, thing. And you know, just because I do something doesn't mean that my county officers next to me are going to do what I do, you know? And that's why we preach as far as the bait thing, or as far as anything, like if you have any questions, you know, call your county conservation officer, because that's the one, um, or excuse me, your state, your state conservation officer, because that's who um, you're going to be dealing with. Okay. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of it depends on with me. It depends on you know the severity of the issues. Um, you know, we had um, a conservation officer here over the weekend had just experienced uh, um, some couple of younger hunters just kind of starting to branch things out um, had harvested some teal 
and teal season was over with. And so, you know, they just started that first weekend, had a fun, fun time, went the next weekend, realized that the season was still, was still going on. Um, gave him, gave him a pretty good educational, um, uh, experience, I guess, you know, and, uh, uh, so a lot of it kind of all depends on one, you know, the hunter's attitudes, you know, yeah, you know, how, how are they, um, is it, uh, is it again, like you said earlier, you know, is it a blatant disregard for the rules and laws or is it simple, you know, Hey, you know, we're just now starting to do this, you know, this type of thing. So yeah. it's a case by case scenario. Um, and you mean generally when you've been doing this for two, for 10, over 10 years, you know, the guys that are your avid guys every day that you, you know, you can check their license for the first minute and the next 20 minutes, you're going to talk to them about, you know, what's mama making for supper tonight or whatever, you know, cause those yeah. are just the guys that are out there and you have full trust in them. And then there's other guys that, you know, you just, they just like violating the law and stuff. And those, those are the guys that, you just can't overlook so. right gotcha so uh you mentioned uh you mentioned waterfowl there walk us through i mean waterfowl it has already started but it's getting ready to really ramp up with some other seasons opening if not already open what are some uh, good reminders uh that you can share with us about waterfowl hunting yeah absolutely um first off you know and it's generally just like all our um shooting hours it's a little bit different though just a reminder it is a half hour before sunrise it's to sunset on the shooting hours for waterfowl though it's not a half hour after sunset okay that is that is generally the number one written ticket there um as duck hunting gets kind of going um is um and not a number one but it's just one towards the evening that a lot of guys will you know they'll try to shoot them ducks a half hour after and uh, again, the shooting hours are the one half uh, half hour before center at two sunset. Uh, the duck plug, I actually um, had, tracked, had, had checked some hunters here last week. Um, got out to the field, realized that they didn't have their plug in their gun. They actually walked over, broke off a stick, and shoved it in, in their gun. And so, you know, I thanked them for doing that because I don't know how many hunters I've checked that, you know, oops, I just. But generally what they'll do is they'll only put three in their gun, you know, even though it's capable more for holding more. And that's what our law says is that firearm at any given time could not be capable of holding more than three shotgun shells. So one in the action and two in the chamber. So gotcha. When it So duck plug, duck plug is huge. Okay. When it comes to these violations, you know, I would assume that a veteran and, and I'm going to talk about this waterfowl uh, hunting specifically, but I, I have a feeling that that can be transcended into deer hunting or any rules with trapping. Are you writing more tickets to people who are newer to hunting than let's say veterans who, you know, like if you've been hunting duck hunting 30 years, you know that you need a, a plug in your gun generally um it's actually still 50 50 believe it or not okay um you know you'll still get the it's the same thing where it's you know yep yep you will get the uh the new hunters out there dad and son you know trying things out or whatever um 
a lot of times it's just the it's I get a lot of laziness. I'll be honest with you. You know, oh, I went out here and I realized I I didn't have it, and I just you know. So, but generally, uh, and I'll actually have more people call me. Hey, you know, we're gonna we're trying teal hunting for the first time, or we're trying dove hunting for the first time. What do we need? Believe it or not, I've been getting a lot more phone calls of people asking. Uh, you know, basically asking for um, permission rather than for forgiveness. So that's been kind of nice. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Um, so anything else for uh, that a waterfowl uh, sportsman needs to be aware of this year? Uh, are there any um, big changes that have come through? No. Um, None, none, um, none that I can really, really see. So again, just the um, the one big thing we did have last year was the federal e stamp. You can actually get your federal duck stamp. You can get it on online now. Okay. Where what you do is you basically just you order it online and then you print off a certificate basically, and you keep that certificate with you until you get the actual stamp in the mail, and then you stamp on the back of the license. Okay. Uh, you know, and so, um, and then, uh, just a reminder, it does uh, look like our scop bag limit has changed. It's actually one for the first 15 days of the season and then two for the remaining of 45 days of the season. So, okay. That might be one just for people to kind of be aware of. Keep an eye out there right in early dock. You know, gotcha. Right there cops only one there for the first 15 days so okay uh let's see here uh, i'd like to move into trapping once because uh you know trapping is another big thing that starts going down in the fall here people are starting to get ready for it um fill yeah. us in on some like some friendly reminders of you know common mistakes sport uh, trappers make or things that they need to be aware of yeah absolutely um one of the biggest things too is i and i want to thank everybody out there for you know for all the the dads and the grandpas or the sons or whatever, you know, that are still continuing trapping out there because trapping right now in the last couple of years has gone, um, pretty, pretty low anyway, as far as, um, tra- uh, trapping recruitment, as far as people getting out there and actually doing it. Um, we don't have a whole lot of trappers and a lot of, a lot of that is, is because of the fur prices have kind of tanked. They've kind of gone down. Um, you know, you're, you get a raccoon, you're you're actually better off just keeping it on the carcass now, and you can try to find a fur bar that's going to give you about three and three dollars and fifty cents, you know, four dollars, hopefully, for the whole raccoon. Um, and so that's one big thing is is we all as trappers we have to remind ourselves that you know we are doing trapping for the the population control of, you know, raccoons and coyotes and trying to keep down the disease spreads and all that. And so yeah. there, there still is a general purpose of trying to get out there and chew the trapping besides just getting paid for food. Um, but uh, one of the biggest things that I come across every year, uh, I have a lot of people using dog proof traps. They're like the little, now they're, they're white, they're brown, they're, it's a silver color, but they look like a little cylinder. And what that, it's just basically got a spring, just one big giant spring on it. And 
Um, what that is, is it, it's exactly, it, it's a dog-proof trap. It's so that way dogs can't uh, get their paws down inside there or they can't step on a foothold trap, you know, and get caught or whatnot. Um, a lot of your coyote guys will still catch the dog that's running a mile and a half away from their home or whatever, but the dog-proof traps have been done a pretty good job. But I just want to remind uh, at least the la- um, a homeowner on that is if somebody has a dog-proof trap, they actually don't have to. There is no yardage restriction in the road ditch as far as where that has to be from your driveway. If you get a really good trapper driving, trapping your road ditch, he's going to respect your property to begin with. He's not going to put it generally super close right next to your house. So that way, if you happen to catch a raccoon right there, you see the raccoon dancing in the trap until he gets there, you know. So um, they're not going to do that. But that's generally one of the common calls that I get from a landowner is, is, you know, how far do they have to be from these traps? Or, excuse me, with these traps from their houses. And as far as the, um, as far as that one goes, um, there is no yard restrictions. Now, now same thing goes with the foothold trap too. the common, uh, press down on the levers, the jaws open up and then you put the dog over on the pan. Yep. Uh, uh, that foothold trap, there is no yardage restrictions on that one also, uh, the only thing that really has a yardage restrictions from your house is going to be a snare or conibear, and that's going to be it cannot be set within 200 yards of your house, and it has to be set five feet off of the fence line for a conibear, and a snare cannot once it's fully extended it cannot touch the fence. Okay, that prevents animals from getting uh, tangled up in the fence. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. And then. And then it prevents that dog that's wandering outside of their property. You know, at least they have a 200-yard restriction so they don't get caught in a trap. Right. Um, Out of curiosity, is the ditch public property? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, 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 it is. So how how does that work? Is it from the edge of the road to the fence line that is the public property? It is, um... For trapping purposes, it's you know basically it's the it's the fence to the gravel portion. Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. is that for trapping only? No, no. So you, we get we get a lot of pheasant hunters too. Yeah. Um, especially down here where you have generally you you won't have anybody. Well, I mean sometimes I guess I've seen it done, but typically you don't see people walking the ditches of a of a of a well-traveled gravel or a paved road. What, what a lot of times what you do is you'll have them walk in the road ditches of a level B road, Yeah, you know, and those, those can produce, you know, a pretty good ample opportunities at a pheasant. So, uh, basically it, but the same rules apply though, is you have to be within, unless you get permission, you have to be within 200 yards. Um, to discharge a firearm. Okay. Now, even with, for trapping, this is one thing that I did not touch on. Even with permission, you still cannot set within 200 yards. Gotcha. Okay. But, the, but, but discharging a firearm, you can. Okay. I don't want to, I'll come back to trapping here in a second, but you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about how close you can be to a building or um, a, a residence. What about bow hunting? 
do you have to do you have to be 200 yards away from a a building while you're bow hunting no that is only for firearms only for firearms okay yep. all right cool yep all right um so uh back to trapping anything else that uh that we need to know about as far as uh maybe uh limits or season length or anything like that uh just uh you know not so much limits because we actually don't the only limits we truly do have um is for bobcats and otters um Season limits for bobcats, there's no more than three bobcats that can be taken legally. There actually is a limitation um, as far as the counties where bobcats can be harvested. And and those can be found on page 32 of the regulations. Um, They actually have opened up some more counties for harvesting bobcats, but then there's also counties that are still closed to to bobcat harvest, period. So that's that's one good thing also just a reminder if you do happen to uh so otters also so before i get uh ahead of myself otter limit is three also so three otter three bob three bobcat per fur fur harvester every time you catch one of those animals you do have to contact us um to get a sighties tag okay uh on that animal so gotcha i've always uh, been curious about this though let's say uh you're hunting you're trapping for coyotes or you're trapping for uh coons or possums in a in a waterway and you catch you just hap you just so happen to catch uh an otter or a bobcat in one of your traps and you go over your limit what happens then um all you basically have to do is contact the conservation officer and again, that discretion applies to what he, you know, a lot of times we'll just come out and, and take them, not a big deal, you know, but it's just better off. So that way you're not over your possession. Yeah, So absolutely. Okay. You know, but yeah, just contact us now. Hey, one thing I was, I just, I just wrote down here. This is a good one. Um, for all of everyone that are bow hunters, I encourage everyone to, I know it's a little bit more money, but when you go buy your bow tags at the beginning of the year, Purchase a fur harvester's license because, and, and and maybe you have seen them too, but I bet out of one out of three bow hunters that I talk to every day in my seasons, I guarantee you at least two of them have seen bobcats while bow hunting deer. Last it is getting very prevalent. Yeah, last year yeah. was the most bobcats I've seen in any year I've ever bow hunted i saw four i think oh wow yeah 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 you know and so it's just one of those where they're cool they'll come right down the deer trail they'll get they'll they'll give you a shot at them uh you know it's a lot better off to have that fur harvester license in your wallet and saying hey i can harvest this animal rather than it's sitting there then it just sits down right in front of you and then you're like oh no i haven't purchased my you know yeah, I sure license. Yeah. that's just kind of a general plug. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea because you have to have a fur bear's uh, 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 license to shoot a coyote if a coyote comes through too, right? No, no, no. okay. So that, no, so that's that's what people get confused on is 
you can take a coyote on a fur harvester or a hunting license, either or. I got gotcha. you. A bobcat has to be on a fur harvester license. Gotcha. Okay. And do you yep. know what, uh, for a resident, what that costs? What's a fur a fur license? Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's going to be $26. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, I should probably pick that one of those up because I never, I never do. But that's a good, that's a great right. point. Yeah, it's just one of those where it's like, you know, if it's there, then you can take one if you want it. Right. All right. So uh, anything else on trapping that we need to cover? Uh, just, uh, just in general, trap tags. Make for sure that you have good trap tags, um, those nice copper tags that you buy um, that come in a big pack or whatever. Get them stamped. Uh, with your name, you know, and, and address and all that. And, uh, I, you know, I always, if, if I trap with my, my sons, which, what to actually do or whatnot, uh, uh, you know, I, I put everybody's names on that tag that way. Cause you, cause you never know, um, who can, who can come out or if I get sick one day, well, at least their names are on there. They can run them in and vice versa. So, right. Right. Uh, Make sure you have, I have a lot of people that try to use pop can tags and, uh, they'll cut up a piece of pop can and try to fold it and write on it and it, it doesn't work and then it's gone. And, and, you know, that's just another piece of shiny material for once that raccoon is caught in the trap, you know, now what's he going to do is a curious creature. So what they do is they try to look for shiny objects and they try to take them off or bite them off. And so, a lot of times I'll take that tag and I'll wrap it all around one of the lengths of the chain. Okay. So, okay. you know, and it's just one of those where we can still see it if we need to, but at the time, uh, it's just one less chance of that tag getting ripped off. Gotcha. Okay. So, so be a bit about, that's probably it for the harvest at all. All right. So, uh, let's jump into quail and pheasant. Any, or, uh, any other upland, upland bird, uh, rules and regulations. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Again, um, the, um, the shooting towers are different for these also. So, you know, it's like I say, it's, it's real one really good thing to just kind of keep reading these books up. Uh, upland waterfowl, or excuse me, upland game hunting, pheasants, quail, um, you're actually going to be 8 a.m. in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon. Okay. So... What was that? Uh, what was it last year? It was earlier than that last year. Uh no, it should have been eight. No, I think it's always been eight to four thirty. Okay, I got you. Eight to four thirty is 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 the uh, game. Any uh, any common mistakes people make when pheasant hunting or quail hunting? Um, generally, we um don't see a whole lot of violations there. As far as you know, just a reminder, you know three. Uh, three for the pheasants on the daily possession, eight for the quail, uh, make, you know, making sure that you don't go over your possession. You know, if you have those 12, 12 pheasants in the freezer, make sure that you cook a couple, you know, at least you cook three up at least so you can get three more. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but, um, um, and then just hunter orange too, you know, whereas our code actually says for, for, upland game hunting all you need for hunter orange is just that orange hat that's at least 50 percent solid blaze orange well it's to your benefit 
it's also to the benefit of the guy that's behind the trigger across the field that doesn't quite see you, you know. So I encourage peasant hunters to even wear that vest full of orange and that, you know, plus that hat. So really try to be seen out there. Yeah. Do you guys run into, uh, you know, in a given year, a lot of firearm accidents, whether it was, you know, in the field or in the truck? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, and I apologize. I don't have those numbers right off hand here, but I know for a fact, Dan, we get at least three to four a year that, you know, that are somewhere along the lines of, um, you know, pulling that firearm out of their, out of their, out of their vehicle or, um, uh, pheasant hunters too close shoots, you know, guys through the weeds over through the next, couple 20 yards away there or what or whatnot so gotcha. but yes unfortunately we i mean we we see them every every year what are the what are the rules for carrying a a firearm in your vehicle so no permits nothing like that just the old-fashioned way it's it's completely unloaded and in a case okay. separate from am separate from the am, ammunition okay on the flip side of that because we get those we get those weapons carry permit people all the time asking as long as you have a permit to carry you 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 can have it unloaded in case uh, unloaded and sorry loaded and uncased in your vehicle okay definitely don't pr- don't promote that you know me as a as a conservation officer but as a right of a permit holder you person is allowed to do that but you know generally we try to really preach that gun is unloaded and cased okay gotcha all right um let's see here we, we talked a little bit about the upland uh game anything else before we move on to deer hunting no that no i think we're good okay now you mentioned uh there's some there there's some confusion going on right now in the 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 firearm side of deer hunting and, and you're going to clarify that yeah absolutely and all those uh basically there is a house file path um this year is it's a house file 716 and it was uh makes changes to the size and type of ammunition that can be used during deer hunting uh once the path the rule making has to be has to be set forth okay and that has not been done yet so um as of this deer season here this fall and winter deer season Everything is going to remain the same. It's still going to be 357 to 500 straight wall cartridges. So, okay. And that's, so, but I just wanted to get that out to everybody. And that is a, a firearm and that's, that can only be used during the, the quote unquote Iowa shotgun season. Right. Um, as far as, yes, as far as right now, the okay. way it is written. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are only for um, the uh, the uh, shotgun deer seasons there. Gotcha. Okay. So oh, well, and or and or youth and or youth season. A youth can use a straight wall firearm also. Okay. All right. Um, now, one thing that I've always understood is that the late season muzzleload muzzleloader season is a uh, I mean, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, is a primitive weapon season. And what that mean, what I mean by that is I can use my muzzleloader, I could use a crossbow, or I can use a bow. Is that correct? 
You are correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the crossbow, we just changed that a couple of years ago to where you could use that. But, but, uh, yes, okay. yes, you can use the crossbow bow. And then we also changed it this year to where anyone over 65 can use a crossbow now too. They do not have to have that, um, the disability. Okay. So if you're 65 and older, you can use a crossbow. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, and then what does it take to actually use a crossbow in Iowa? Do you have to have a, a doctor's note, uh, that says, okay, this person has a disability to where, you know, I don't think they can pull a bow back. Therefore, I, I recommend that or who makes the decision on whether a person with a disability can use a crossbow. Yeah. The doctor, um, and again, actually, I just want to verify on that deer. It's uh, the age to qualify for a senior antlerless crossbow license has been lowered to sixty-five. So, okay, so for a senior antlerless crossbow, it would be sixty-five. So you still cannot um, shoot a buck with a crossbow in Iowa, other than late season. Unless, unless you have, unless you are disabled, which those um, applications you could get from iodnr.gov you print them off but then yes you 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 are right you go to your doctor and your doctor sets forth you know are you you know is this a permanent disability is this a a partial disability um and then um you know what are your limitations and that's all set forth on the doctor or okay by the doctor and then how long does that take to get back to where the dnr is it a separate permit or do they give you an approval letter that you have to carry around with you he'll sign it he'll sign it right there you'll actually bring you'll bring the application in he'll sign it and then you um, mail that into the des moines office and then basically that what they'll do is they will make that to where you can purchase or work or you um they'll just set that as a special restriction on your license profile. Okay. So, so then you still buy, you still buy a bow tag and in any sex deer bow tag, just like you always do. It's just your method of take now is now, um, um, set where you can use a crossbow. Okay. So if you, let's just say you see me, carrying a crossbow out of the woods you stop and you say what's your name whatever here's here's your license then you'll go onto your computer or you'll contact your database and then in that database you'll see that that hunter has the ability to use a crossbow well yeah and that uh when you print that off that license will have on their crossbow oh, okay uh, yep okay yep. i get it now it'll stay right on there yep yep crossbow right. application approve of their or gotcha. crossbow license there. So. All right. Now I, I know you mentioned mineral and, uh, and, and baiting uh, earlier on in the show, but uh, what is, what are some of the common, uh, and let's just kind of break it down between bow hunting and, um, and gun hunting, or if you want to lump them in together, uh, just maybe other mistakes that uh, a deer hunter um, typically makes. What are some of the common and easiest uh, mistakes that, uh, that bow hunters or deer hunters make throughout the, the season? Um, again, like, like I said, we've, we've already said, you know, talks like the bait one, you know, that bait, that bait one's huge, uh, for shotgun hunters, 
the orange, the orange is kind of big, just kind of making sure that it is an actual solid blaze orange vest, you know, coat, uh, anything like that. Uh, generally, number one, number one thing I probably write, uh, failure to harvest reporting your deer. Oh, okay. It, you would not believe the people. That, and, you know, like, I don't know, it, it truly does help us, though, as far as, you know, how many deer are shot in, in the county. Um, it really helps the wildlife biologists gather a bunch of data. And so, and, you know, by doing that, that kind of shows it also, we also report as far as EHD deer cases go too. So they take that information, you know, how many deer have died in the summer with the EHD. Now all the deer that have been harvested throughout the seasons, that allows them to say, you know, can they keep the, antlerless deer quota the same you know do they need to raise it up a little bit do they need to drop it a little bit and so that's one that is the biggest thing that i see is people do not call their deer tags in gotcha okay all right so let's say that whether you're driving down the road and or you're in the woods and you witness a game violation um Mm -hmm. or anything bad having to do with hunting. Um, what is, what are the best methods to stopping that or calling someone or whatever your recommendations are? Yeah, absolutely. We have, um, we have a turn in poachers hotline, which, um, we, everybody will can, can kind of call it. And, uh, it's a 1-800 number. Uh, I don't, I was trying to find it there. I don't have it right off hand, but it's a 1-800 number. But, um, one of the biggest things that I stress to all the people in my counties is call, get your county con or get your state conservation officer's phone number, put it in your phone and call them directly. Cause one thing like in the fall seasons, we're constantly out there. We're always driving around. Uh, we don't work seven to three, eight to four. Right. So like we're, I mean, a lot of times we're putting in 14, 16, 18 hour days. It just kind of depends on everything going on. And so put, put, uh, the back of those regulations on page 52 is the conservation officer phone numbers, put those numbers in your phone. And then if you happen to witness a violation or see something going on that, you know, needs to be reported, call that conservation officer if they don't answer, leave them a voicemail. They're going to probably more than likely call you back as soon as possible. Um, if you make, if we make a good case on it, we'll still put it in for the tip reward and, you know, and all that. It's just a lot of times it's easier to maybe contact your conservation officer by a direct phone call rather than going through that 1-800 line. Right. Or, or calling a, a county sheriff per se, right? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the first time, first thing that they're going to probably do is if they, if they witness or realize that they, a fishing game call, they're going to probably try to call the conservation officer first before they send a deputy out there. So, you know, generally you can just call that conservation officer yourself. Now, if you call them and you, and you don't get, get a hold of them, I would recommend the next thing is, yeah, call your county sheriff's office, tell them what you, you know, hey, you know, I'm sitting in my bow stand. You know, and I just witnessed um, a black Chevy with two people jump out of the truck. Um, you know, the driver uh, 
pulled a firearm and shot a deer in the field, the deer's flopping in the field. You know, this is the color of the color of the truck. The truck went eastbound. Uh, you know, they were wearing camel clothes, orange hat, uh, you know, any and all description that you could possibly get without getting yourself involved. Right. Right. Like a lot of times, a lot of times at night when people see spotlights and stuff, they try to drive out and they try to see what people are going on. So, you know, a lot of times though, that's just this day and age, you know, it's kind of a bad deal, but if we can get license plate numbers or anything the best information that a person can bring forward to us that you know that's what we're really looking for gotcha okay so it's probably not best to confront them and get involved if you witness a violation yeah no i mean not yeah yeah no it's not best to go up and you know and try to handle it yourself you know the best thing would be is to get as much information as possible you know we've i've even had a few people tailgating people, you know, um, follow them and following the distance, you know, just remember, you know, that, you know, be safe because we all want to be here the next day. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to game violations or even trespassing or, or things that tend to get people the most heated, uh, are there any other recommendations or examples that you'd like to share with us of maybe what to do versus what not to do? Um, as far as turning some, uh, as far as witnessing a violation. Yeah. I, w- whether it's witnessing a violation or, or you, you have a trespasser or, or mm-hmm. in, in my scenario, you know, like a, a trail camera, a thief or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, like I said, the, one of the biggest things is, you know, is jot down all that information that you possibly can for the conservation officer, you know, help, help them build, build a case and definitely, you know, definitely don't try to take it on yourself. Um, and, uh, provide as much in, info as possible. And then, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to see where we, we, we can come up with it. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, I think we've covered a lot in today's episode. Is there anything else that we need to cover or or know about or just kind of a friendly refresher before we call our quits today? Um, I think we touched on quite a lot that I wanted to touch on here. And uh, again, like I said, just be safe out there and uh, try to um, try to take any and all youth out as pos- as as you possibly can because those are that's actually our next generation. And, you know, that's one thing that I really like seeing out there is seeing the those young dove hunters and all the youth trying to get involved. So, any, any chance somebody can get to take a youth out there, I, re- I, re- I really encourage that. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. You shout out to Dan for taking time out of his day to hop on the podcast and share some of that knowledge and information with us. Thanks to all of you for downloading and listening to this podcast. Also, be sure to visit iowasportsman.com and mess around on there. Tons of great content as far as blog articles are concerned. Also, subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman Magazine. Tons of great articles in there from from some really knowledgeable people, hunting, fishing, trapping, uh, some good conversation pieces in there as well. And you can subscribe to that magazine through the iowasportsman.com website. So check that out. Thanks to all of you. 
Thanks to our partners at Quiet Cat. Thanks to everybody. Good luck this fall, and please be safe, and we'll talk to you next time.